by this movie, it's like the Jedi know the prophecy and so does Palpatine. And they all know that this person is gonna bring balance to the force. But what's interesting is both sides are still trying to recruit and train this chosen one. They're yeah, both looking at the same prophecy. And I think he has absolutely no intention of bringing balance to anything. He's definitely trying to tip the scales to the dark side. When people talk more about prophecy, they're saying that they've seen something that's going to happen very clearly. Ancient prophecy was not like that. It was actually similar to this movie. Hey guys, welcome back to Movies Are Spiritual. Today we're talking about Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones. Which is a movie I like, but I don't like sand. It's coarse, rough, irritating. It gets everywhere. Is that your Hayden Christensen impersonation? Ish. (laughs) (laughs) And welcome! (laughs) Welcome, everyone! So, we uh, analyze spiritual themes in movies on this podcast, so if you haven't been with us before, that's what we're about to do. We're going to vet... Star Wars Attack of the Clones and see what it says about God and spirituality. So I've got some questions for you guys. Shoot. Pew, pew. Shoot. There's a lot of talk in Star Wars Attack of the Clones about feelings and using them to discern the truth. So some examples from the movie are Palpatine tells Anakin, in time you will learn to trust your feelings. Then you will be invincible. I wish that were true. (laughs) Or Yoda, he tells the Jedi students, to use their feelings when they're blindfolded during lightsaber training to figure out where the droid they're supposed to hit is. So I was kind of wondering about that. What is this movie telling us? Are feelings and the force the same thing? Or is it saying that you can use your feelings to discern truth? Or what is the message here in the movie? Well, another example of that too is in episode one, Qui-Gon told Anakin before the pod race to feel, don't think, use your instinct. It's a real big thing. And what I have, I guess, I've always thought about that is sometimes it's just easier to trust your your instinct. What's your natural thought on this? Because you can overthink things sometimes, and that can sometimes get you into trouble. So I think what they're saying is just to trust in, I mean, they're using the force, but to trust it, let it guide you. And if that's your instinct, then that's what you need to follow instead of trying to overanalyze and overthink it. Do what comes natural. Now, when you're talking about which way are they trying to focus on, is there a good and a bad? I think we may have touched on this on the first one, but I think this is an ongoing story about how maybe even when you have the good and the bad, there is too much good and too much good can eventually circle around too bad. So I think, you know, especially if you look at how the story goes as Obi-Wan continues on throughout this trilogy, his stories in between this one and the original trilogy with Alec Guinness, you know, he's not a true Jedi master like the people on the council. He's not as stuffy. He's, uh, you know, he takes shortcuts, if you will, or something like that. So I think he kind of learns maybe there is another way other than the Jedi way. Not saying that Hugo Sith, but there's got to be a happy medium there. So I think that's when they talk about the Jedi feelings and then how the Sith feel things. I think, again, George was trying to pull the audience around saying, you know, where do you stand on this? And kind of a good pulling in both ways situations type thing. Yeah, I had trouble trying to determine, is the movie trying to depict that the Sith and the Jedi kind of take an opposite stance on that? Or are they both trying to, I guess, optimize and get in tune with their feelings to discern things. Because I know Yoda says some things about use your feelings, but they are a little bit more logical in this movie or unfeeling, maybe even numb. Whereas maybe Palpatine is trying to encourage Anakin to just let his feelings take over as in anger and some of those feelings that they should keep in check. So it's it's hard because the script starts talking as if they're both sides are all about feelings. But then if you really look at the Jedi, they're actually trying to control their feelings quite a bit more, maybe to an extreme. 
Did you notice anything like that? Yeah, because, I mean, the Jedi have these rules of certain things are forbidden. Attachments are forbidden. Having possessions is forbidden. That way, you're basically giving your life to the Jedi Order. So when they say trust your feelings, I think they're looking at more in when you're using the Force and you're feeling it, trust that. When it comes to the Sith, the Sith are all about manipulation, control, power, and a big part of it is like your anger. You'll hear Palpatine a lot say, use your anger. Use it. It makes you powerful. So yeah, he's definitely trying to manipulate Anakin in a different way. As in, yeah, use your feelings. And I know you're angry about a lot of stuff. Use it. You'll get more power than all these other Jedi. He hadn't said that all 100% yet because he's still not, you know, he hasn't been outed as a Sith yet, but... He's definitely laying those seeds in there to yeah. to use that anger. Yeah, that line, trust your feelings, they will make you invincible, did kind of make me laugh. There's another one, though. When Anakin's talking to Padme, he goes, you are asking me to be rational. That is something I simply cannot do. <laughs> and in isolation, that is a funny quote. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, George Lucas isn't uh, the, the greatest uh, screenplay writer in the world. Dude can tell a story, He's but not he, even the kind of baddest. Some of the dialogue in two, it's not the greatest. The thing about part two is it could have been if certain parts were taken out, I think it would have been one of the better of the movies. There's a couple scenes that I, I, I would have just cut it out or shortened a little bit. And I know exactly what scenes you're talking about, but those scenes are important to the story because you gotta see Anakin Padme fall in love, but it's the same conversation we had with last episode, same conversation we're going to have with the next episode. George cannot direct. Yeah. Caden <laughs> Christensen's not a bad actor. I'm He's not saying let's start throwing awards at him, but the guy, he can act decently. I think we talked about this maybe last time too. He was in some decent movies where he was good. He yeah. pulled off the role, yeah. but you give him cheesy dialogue along with no direction again, you know, and you do the same with an Academy multi-Academy award nominated actress and she can't, but it looks like she can't act her way out of paper bag. So, yeah. And I won't go deep into that again, because we've been through that, but this was Hayden Christensen's first movie, wasn't it? No, no. Oh, okay. Life is a house great movie which is a really really good movie he was in that one i think was it jumper or something like that I th uh, jumper was after that was after this but he had been in a couple of things before this well i like that dichotomy what they were going for with the opposite way that the jedi and the sith would train you to use your feelings mm -hmm. but i just don't think they made that super clear in the script i think i got it but i had to really think about it yeah so my second question for you guys, the Star Wars prequels focus a lot more on this prophecy about a chosen one. I think I vaguely remember that from the original trilogy, like someone who would bring balance to the force. They never mention it in the original trilogy. Really? No. Okay. So this is a whole new idea because yes. definitely the word prophecy, that was the first time I'd heard it was in Phantom Menace. No, they had never talked about bringing balance to the force ever. In the original trilogy. By Attack of the Clones, it's like the Jedi know the prophecy, and so does Palpatine. And they all know that this person is going to bring balance to the Force, but what's interesting is both sides are still trying to recruit and train this chosen one. So Palpatine comes in thinking that he's going to recruit Anakin. Does he think that he's going to let Anakin bring balance to the Force and he's going to bring more dark side? Or does he think he's going to prevent Anakin from bringing good and balancing the Force that way? You know what I mean? They're both looking at the same prophecy. Yeah, I think he realizes how powerful Anakin is and can be. And I think he has absolutely no intention of bringing balance to anything. He's definitely trying to tip the scales to the dark side. And that's his whole goal. It's 100% manipulation. It's all about having power. He's not interested in fulfilling a prophecy of bringing balance at all. He thinks maybe if he can corrupt Anakin. Yeah, he wants to corrupt Anakin. He's because I mean, he's he corrupts everything. He he has power over the Senate. He has power over the courts. He has power over everything. He was able to manipulate it Amidala. so that he could be elected chancellor. 
yeah, he manipulated her into calling for a new vote on a chancellor. So everything he does, he's got a plan. Palpatine is one of the greatest movie villains ever because he's so smart and he's so cunning. And the way he manipulates, he controls everything. And the fact that he can do it in two roles. Palpatine is, a, oh, he's the chancellor. He's on the side of the Jedi. He's on the side of the Republic. But at the same time, he's manipulating a war. And he's purposely starting a war so he can get them to war. And either way, he's going to come out on top. And, I mean, that's his whole plan. It's genius. He's, he's such a good character. And he plans so much that even when he died, he came back. Somehow. <laughs> it happened. Yeah, I don't quite understand that part of the new trilogy. <laughs> we'll get to it. Nobody in does. Two years. <laughs> Nobody does. Wait, why they is he alive out. again? <laughs> I don't know. Did they ever say it was a clone? They're going to explain it and at some point, and they're kind of getting to that right now in The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah? Yeah, they're... Oh, I haven't watched any of those yet. Yeah, they're starting to kind of, like, plant seeds. So I think at the end, by the time you watch all the shows and stuff, we'll eventually figure out... They'll figure out what, how to write it in. I, yeah, I mean, like... They still I, have no clue. I kind of know, because I've read books, and there was an operation thing called Operation Cinder. And it was a thing that was supposed to go into effect. If the Emperor died, the Empire would go to planets and basically raise the planet and just get rid of everything on it. All of the high-ranking Imperial officers were supposed to retreat to the Unknown Regions, which is where Exegol is. You retreat, you rebuild, and they had like his DNA that they can manipulate into a clone. And that's what he is. That's why you can see, like, in, in 9, he's hooked up to all these machines. It's because he's not fully powerful yet. And that's when he realizes that he can suck the life force out of two people. And it, like, made him normal where he could actually walk. And that's how he got all of his force power back. So being a clone, he didn't have all the force ability that he wanted to, which is, I think, where Mando comes in. Because that's why the Imperials want Grogu is because they want to get his DNA. Because he's got force DNA. And they kind of touched on that on one of the episodes. There was an Imperial cloner. And the Republic has said, no more cloning. We're not doing this anymore. But he thinks, well, I can do this. I can help people. I can, like, clone organs. And I can clone whatever. But some of the Imperials who are left over think, yeah, you can clone a lot of things. We need that DNA because we're trying to clone the Emperor. They just don't explain it in the movie very well at all. But that's kind of, that's my take on it. I could be way off. So but... you think Grogu is a clone of Yoda? No. Or maybe... He's a clone of Yoda. Or, no. Or Yoda's a clone of Grogu? Maybe. No, I don't know. That I don't know. I thought the prophecy depiction in these stories was a little bit interesting because we kind of talked about on the Phantom Menace episode how this prophecy turns out to be correct. It just gets really bad before Vader actually brings balance to the Force by taking out the Emperor. And I don't know if people realize this, because the way in religion prophecy is looked at today is not the same as it was looked at in ancient times. Because in ancient times, they were kind of in the dark too. They did not really understand the prophecies that they had in their scriptures. And they didn't really know what they were looking for until after something happened. Or today, when people talk more about prophecy, they're saying that they've seen something that's going to happen very clearly you know, tomorrow or who's going to win some election and that kind of thing. Ancient prophecy was not like that. It was actually similar to this movie where they sense something and it, they don't know how it's going to play out. They don't know that Anakin's going to become Vader and become evil and wreck everything before he sets things right. So I thought that was kind of interesting from a theology perspective. I've seen these movies a thousand times and I've read books and I still don't 100% understand how you bring balance to the force. Because to be balanced, you have to have equal, right? Equal light, equal dark, right? True. If you destroy all the Sith, there's no dark. It's all light. That's not balance. So maybe he did bring balance to the force when he killed all, all of the, the Jedi. <laughs> Jedi until there were only two left, Luke and Yoda and him and Palpatine. So now it's balanced. <laughs> And I mean, you could look at it that way. Yoda but... dies, so that's why Palpatine's like, strike me down. I have foreseen yeah. it. So strike him down. Now you're balanced again. Well, now it's Luke and Vader. Father and son. 
Right, but then Vader dies, and then now it's just Luke, and it's not. <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. Vader's a robot. He's gonna live for another hundred years or something. Just put him in a tank. That's all you have to do. Just leave him in a tank floating. I just don't understand. I mean, I get. I really. I don't. I don't get the. They never really explained. He's gonna bring balance, but how is he gonna bring balance? Or is it just getting rid of the Sith is bringing balance? Is that it? Yeah, I think that's where he was going. He probably could have worded it better, more like the prophecy to destroy the Sith or to end the Sith line, you know? And that, I mean, if that's the case, that makes, yeah, I, I get that, but you never really say it. So it's really hard to, this is what I think happened. I think in the original trilogy, Lucas had this idea from studying the samurai and monks and Eastern religion. He came up with this idea of the force, right? And then when he starts making the prequels, he starts borrowing ideas from, Greek mythology and Judaism, because we have those parallels to Jesus, you know, virgin birth of Anakin and all this. So he's trying to write this theology around the Jedi and the Force, but he never really clarifies what it is. So he never actually writes a theology for them. He mixes all these different religions together. And so then we're sitting here trying to understand how the Force works and what it is. And he started turning it into a religion, but he never wrote any concrete rules. In fact, there's contradictory rules mm -hmm. to this. So the more I thought about it while I was watching this movie, the more frustrated I got because I thought, ah, oh, this could have been really cool, but like you never finished writing the theology of the Jedi before you made this movie. <laughs> so yeah. it's like a hodgepodge of different things that don't go together. Yeah. When he was originally writing... Star Wars, he didn't have Jedi. He called it Guardians of the Wills. And it was like a religion. And he kind of went away with that. And he brought back in the Jedi. And they mentioned Guardians of the Wills in Rogue One. There are people who believe in the Force. They might have Force abilities, but they've never been trained as Jedi. That's what that blind guy was? Yeah, those guys were Guardians of the Wills. He definitely made the Force and the Jedi as a religion. But you're exactly right. He never kind of totally flushed it out and finished it. And that would have been really neat had he done that. I wish they could have explained a little bit more about this is, you know, that, that prophecy. This is what's going to happen. This is your, you know, they always talk about destiny. Couldn't somebody had said, this is your destiny. This is what you are prophesized to do. All they kept saying was, it's, well, I guess it'll be one says in a three. You were supposed to destroy the Sith, not join them. Yeah. They don't stick to the destiny thing. Yeah. They say... That there's destiny and fate and you know, Anakin was meant to help us and things like that. They talk like they believe in predestination and your actions are determined. We don't have free will. But then we see these moments where they have free will. So they didn't really flesh that out either. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like, well, which is it? What kind of religion per se is being a Jedi or the Force? Yeah. Yeah, that could have improved the movie a lot, I think, because I just couldn't get some clear-cut rules around that or the plot really yeah there was some confusing things in the first time i watched it that you kind of hope that they answered later at the same time there's a lot of about attack of the clones that i really enjoyed there's a couple things that i just really cringe at and i'll get to that in a second but you know obi-wan going on this little mystery trying to figure out who's this bounty hunter you know, and they get to Camino, and he learns about a cloning, and he says that, yeah, this, you know, Master Sifo-Dyas put in this order 10 years ago. Master Sifo-Dyas was killed 10 years ago. So why did he order a clone army? You know, it just comes to a shock to everybody that there's this army of the Republic that nobody knew about. And, of course, that's all Palpatine 10 years ago getting the wheel spin. He asked, do you know Count Dooku? And Jango Fett says, I was recruited by a guy named Tyrannus. Well, that's... Dooku's Sith name is Lord Darth Tyrannus. So it's like he didn't put the two together. So I kind of loved all that little mystery stuff. But one thing I kind of was hoping they'd flesh out is like, who's Master sifo and what happened to him? You mentioned him and he started this whole thing and we never hear of him again. So it's like, what what happened to him? Who is he? Clone Wars answered that in the, the cartoon. They finally kind of answered that question. But oh, yeah. I thought that would have been a little easier to flesh out. I I thought Hayden Christensen did a really good job as Anakin when he played mad Anakin. Whenever he was angry Anakin, he was awesome. That whole scene after he kills all the sand people and he comes back 
and he's in the garage and he's throwing stuff and he's getting mad. I thought he played that perfectly. Yeah. And you can almost during this film kind of get off the spiritual war into the uh, rating it. You can almost feel them getting more comfortable as the movie goes. It is almost like after that scene, he got a little bit angry and he's throwing stuff around. It was a good scene that him and Padme kind of started flowing a little bit better. Yeah. Because before that, it was awkward, but it was almost like they shot this in exact order. And it was like, Hayden, this is Natalie, and you two are in love. Action! It's like, oh, oh." Uh, you know, because it's just so awkward. But, you know, after a month of shooting, now we're into the fighting scenes and everything. They just seem a little bit more comfortable. So, again, I think that has to do with no direction, unfortunately. No offense, George. I love your stuff. (laughs) Your storytelling is great. Well, one thing I really liked about Attack of the Clones was this idea that the Jedi are losing their ability to hear from the Force or discern the will of the Force. So I thought that was kind of interesting. I mean, if you're looking at that from a spiritual perspective, it's kind of like they're losing the ability to tell what God wants and doesn't want or is saying to them or something. That would be probably the most modern example I could think of, but why were they losing their ability to hear from the force? And what did that mean? The dark side is around them and it's kind of blocking out some of their ability. You have a Sith right there that they're not even picking up on because he's hiding it so well. And he has the ability to cloud their judgment, cloud their vision. That's what I always took it as. So I don't think it's our ability to use the force is diminished is what Windu says. They can still use it, but obviously there's something wrong. When they said there's a Sith Lord, they are like, really? A Sith? And that would explain how they're unable to see that Palpatine is the guy they're looking for. Yeah, so you don't feel like they did something wrong here? Because other reviewers talk about they felt like the Jedi became arrogant, but I'm starting to think that maybe they didn't do anything wrong. You can kind of see that they're cold and they're numb, and that's not so good because they're not allowed to feel, not allowed to love. That's probably not a great trait, I guess. But at the same time, maybe the Sith is just a cloud and so they didn't exactly do something wrong, and now they can't hear from the Force. Yeah, I think there is a little bit of arrogance to them. Back in Episode 1, when Qui-Gon says, you know, we encountered something in the desert. He fought with a lightsaber. He could use the Force. I think he might be a Sith. And Mace Windu's like, eh, I don't think the Sith could return without us knowing. Like, so confident. They just dismissed him. Yeah, there's one sitting right down the hallway from me behind a desk, you know, and they they couldn't pick up on that at all. And it wasn't until the end of the movie that they realized, all right, yeah, that was a Sith. (laughs) So I think there's a little bit of arrogance to him that also helps blind them to what's going on around them sometimes. Talking about this, I'm, I'm seeing a real big parallel here of the Christian religion. And I don't want to bash any religion here, but I'm almost seeing like the Jedi or the Catholic religion, the oldest Christian religion out there, right? Yeah, can't marry. That's all it was for years and years. And again, my father's Catholic. That side of my family is Catholic. I grew up going to a Catholic church. So I'm not bashing any religion whatsoever when I tell the story. Just want to let everyone know. But in that religion, as it grew, a lot of people took advantage of that and became powerful and rich and things like that. And because of that, you know, they did become arrogant and feel like they were above or they were better or they knew better. And this is the way. And, you know, if you look at the Jedi, that's kind of what they did. Again, you're not allowed to have possessions or feelings. You can't have love or anything like that. And it's the way the Catholics were. So anyway, all of a sudden, their power starts to diminish because people are starting to kind of see through a little things. At the same time, the power of word is starting to travel throughout the world. And it's easier to say something to somebody two countries away now. And it's like information is being passed. And it's like, oh, you're like that. And Well, wait, why do we see things this way? And that kind of information can cloud 
what they're trying to teach. Mm-hmm. In the meantime, you got one of the priests that's being drawn in by all this negativity about the church and everything. That's what the Sith can represent. And they're using love and feelings like that to pull him away. And then on top of that, you got Obi-Wan, who looks like Jesus. (laughs) And (laughs) he's sitting there like, you know, maybe it's not about the religion. Maybe it's about God. (laughs) You can be about the religion, but you can also have possessions. You can have feelings and things like that. So maybe the whole, I'll stop at episode six, story is kind of the start of other denominations of the Christian religion. And it's like, look, you have your ways, but you know what? I want to be able to tell God's story and preach, but I also want to have sex. So let's, let's take this and maybe tell it a little bit different. So is that kind of like what Qui-Gon was supposed to be last movie? Because, you know, they wouldn't put him on the council because he didn't totally hold some of their extreme views but yet he was still a jedi right so was qui-gon supposed to be like the jedi who saw that some of the rules should be flexible based on the context of a situation he understood that anakin loved his mother and that he had that attachment so the jedi council was like oh no you shouldn't train anakin because you know he's too old because he has attachments he loves his mother well qui-gon was the one who was like no, I should train this boy. He's got this ability. Who knows what could happen if he goes untrained or goes without a father, basically. Mm-hmm. So was Qui-Gon like the priest, per se, that understood the limits of some of the rules and when to bend them? And then he gets taken out of the picture, so everything goes south? Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's a pretty good summary. Yeah, he was kind of the match. Yeah. That match that lit up Obi-Wan to start making him see. Yeah. Yeah, Qui-Gon, I think they even said, like uh, Obi-Wan had said, if you would just follow the council, you would be on the council. And Qui-Gon's like, I'll do what I have to do. And they actually even mention it in in this movie, in Attack of the Clones, on Geonosis, when Obi-Wan is being held, and Dooku walks in and says, you know, he mentions that Qui-Gon was my Padawan. He always spoke so highly of you, Obi-Wan, and I wish Qui-Gon was still here because he'd help me. And when Obi-Wan says uh, he would never help you, he said, don't be so sure. I caught that. Qui-Gon also was getting frustrated with the way the Jedi Council ran things. And he was starting to feel that way, too. That's why Dooku left. Yeah, with what you just said, that kind of unlocked something for me, you know, with the religious parallel. Because I do wonder if George Lucas was trying to comment on organized religion. I don't know. He's kind of from the hippie generation, right? Mm -hmm. So... Qui-Gon was trapped in between the decision to listen to the Force when it told him to do something that the Council wouldn't do, or listen to the Council, right? So the Council and the Force are at odds with each other. So that could potentially be like a church or a, a priest or someone is telling you one thing, and maybe God said something else, and they're not on the same page for some reason. And and a person is stuck in this terrible predicament of having to choose. Well, that's what Qui-Gon's predicament was. And he kind of suffered for that on a human level because he didn't get to be a leader on the council. Maybe he didn't care about that, but he cared more about where the force was directing him yeah. than the council. So now that brings a different dimension to this movie when the council cannot discern from the force. So maybe there was something to... They'd gotten too wrapped up in procedure over relying on the Force. That could very well be. Because I know like uh, like Dooku had left the Jedi Order because even he was starting to get frustrated. And then he fell in with Palpatine and he left the Jedi Order going by. They just did a thing on Disney+. Plus. They're kind of showing Dooku's how he left the Order. He did it right after, right after Qui-Gon's funeral. That's when he left the Jedi Order because he thought the Jedi Council didn't do enough to protect Qui-Gon. So Dooku had actually felt that there was going to be some darkness coming to the Republic for a while. 
and had warned the council about it, and they just dismissed it. There was a scene in Tales of the Jedi, which is an animated short series on Disney+. Plus. It's really good. In the third episode with Dooku, he's talking to Qui-Gon and asks Qui-Gon, tell me about this Sith Lord that you encountered in the desert. And, you know, he said, this is what happened. And he said, did you tell the council? And Qui-Gon's, I did. And Dooku's like, and I'm pretty sure they were quick to dismiss it, weren't they? Like, I've been warning him for years and they refused to listen to me. So he leaves and Yaddle, who's the female Yoda species in Phantom Menace, follows him and she catches Dooku meeting with his ears. Yeah, wings? Wings and ears. <laughs> so anyway, Yaddle follows Dooku and she sees that Dooku is meeting with Darsidious. So she's listening to the conversation and Sidious says something to Palpatine like, you've gone too far this time. You allowed Darth Maul to kill Qui-Gon. And Sidious says, hey, look, you lost an apprentice. I lost an apprentice. This is all for the better good, right? And Dooku's like, look, you know, you got Maul. We got the clones. We got Master Sifo-Dyas. He goes, everything that I have done, I have betrayed everybody and everything that I've ever stood for. Where are we going with this? So Dooku's kind of thinking like, and Palpatine said, you have said yourself, the Jedi serve a Republic that really only cares about their little problems and not really the Republic because they're so focused on Jedi stuff that they're not expanding like they should. They're not open. Those are, that's what Dooku had told Palpatine. So apparently they got a little plan together that we will raise this army. We'll make people aware of this is how the Jedi are. And this is what the Republic could be. That's how Dooku ends up betraying the Jedi and becomes a Sith because he was just so fed up with the way that the Jedi behaved and acted. And he warned him of a Sith, and they didn't listen. And Qui-Gon died, and they didn't listen. Hmm. He's done. But that's not in this movie, right? That's in the extra material. Correct. Now, in the movie, they he, he says, he does say something to the effect of Obi-Wan about Qui-Gon saw it too. He understood that there, were, you know, there was some something wrong with the Jedi Council. Qui-Gon saw it, and I think had he been alive, he would have helped me. I don't know. I mean, they kind of mention it, but they don't go, you know, that in depth. I think it's kind of human nature that when you get power, you try to preserve it or maintain it or something. We see a lot of people struggle Mm -hmm. with that in the world, watching the news, all that. So you see that in this movie. It is hard. I don't think organizations are necessarily evil. I think there's just something within us that we get swayed easily or we get overwhelmed by everything that we're trying to manage. And I kind of think that's what happened with the Jedi here. I don't know what the solution is to that, but it is interesting to see in the movie, and I really do wonder what inspired George Lucas to write that, because you don't write that throughout the whole prequel trilogy without having something that you've seen that's a problem that you want to speak about in the film. If I had to guess if he was putting it on anything, he would be putting it on Hollywood in general. Mm. He did not get along with Hollywood. That's why he wasn't a part of the uh, Director's Guild. He can't be nominated for an Oscar. He cannot. He could make the best picture in the world, and he cannot be nominated for Best Director, Best Producer, Best Writing, nothing. You have to be a part of the Director's Guild to be eligible? Yes, and he dropped out. He quit. Oh, man. He did Star Wars. That's probably why Star Wars did not win Best Picture that year. Well, I think he was in it that year. Well, he didn't get nominated for Best Director, I can tell you that. They never give it to you for your first Best Picture, though. They give it to the one after, right? (laughs) Yeah, so what happened is he did Star Wars on his own. He did it on his own budget, but then he'd have the movie, the studio would come in, and like when he did American Graffiti, he did all that. And then the movie, the company would come in and go, ah, yeah, but you're going to change that, you're going to change that, you're going to change that. And then he has no power. He has to change it. So when he did Star Wars, he said, nah, I'm funding this completely 100% by myself. That way, the studio can't come in and tell me what I need to cut and what I don't need to cut. They'll give him a budget and they'll give him a time frame that we have to have this done by. But he's putting most of his money into it. He doesn't want them editing his movie and playing with his movie. And he also did the thing where he, it was like a rule that like you had to put the actor's credits 
at the beginning of a movie. You had to say, you know, Harrison Ford, Mark Hamill, Carrie Fisher. Well, he didn't do that. He just started with Star Wars, title crawl, do the movie, put the credits at the end. They let him do it for the first one. When he did Empire, they fined him money. And then they put a fine on uh, Erwin Kirshner, who directed Empire Strikes Back, because you didn't put the credits at the beginning of the movie. And Lucas is like, forget this. So he paid his fine. He paid the fine for Kirshner, and then he dropped out of the guild. And because of that, he couldn't get Spielberg to direct Return of the Jedi, which is what he really wanted to do. So he's the Qui-Gon of real life. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, yeah, it's another parallel right there. Yeah. Wow. So that's why when he did this this prequel trilogy, that's probably why he directed all three of them. Either that or he's got to get somebody who isn't part of the guild, who probably doesn't have a lot of experience. And when you're doing a Star Wars movie and half of your movie is shot on a green screen, Lucas is the guy. He's like, I see what's going on in my head. I know how this is going to look. I can't explain it to him. I'll just do it myself. Man. But he dropped out of the Actors Guild because he just had enough of Hollywood chopping his movies apart. I understand that, and yet I still wish he didn't direct this, but now I see the conundrum. And it's very true. If you look back, I mean, a lot of things have changed, let's say, over the past 20 years. Think about, all right, blasphemy alert here. I'm not a huge fan of the uh, Tim Burton, Michael Keaton Batman movie. They're okay. Now, how much of that was Tim Burton, but how much of it was Warner Studio trying? I don't trust Warner Bros. You got to do this. You got to do this. You got to do this. That's the most extreme. I mean, if you look at every single other superhero movie ever made, the Superman with Christopher Reeve was fine. But, you know, just any of those movies where it's just like, this is how we're going to do it. These are the notes I want. I mean, there's a great video out there i can almost guarantee you can find it on youtube it's of kevin smith talking about how he was brought on to write a superman movie and they're like okay this is great blah 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 you got to meet with the producer so he goes and he meets with the producer the producer's like okay here's the deal with the movie i don't want superman to fly i don't want him in a cape and in a third act there's got to be a giant spider he fights (laughs) You're talking about the Nicolas Cage Superman movie, right? That never happened? Well, yes, even before that, because then they brought on Tim Burton. Tim Burton said, we're getting rid of Kevin Smith's script. I'm going to do my own. And then no one ever did anything. (laughs) So, yeah, this is a producer from the studio who has no idea what who Superman is, says, this is what I want, but I don't want him flying around. You know, Superman yeah. is a dude in a cape that flies. <laughs> yeah. And he doesn't fight giant spiders. Well, didn't the giant spiders end up showing up in Wild Wild yeah. West? Yeah, it's the same producer that did <laughs> Wild Wild West. That's the punchline. You just got a thing for spiders. Yeah, it, uh, it's, yeah, you should look it up. Definitely YouTube Kevin Smith alert. He does have a mouth on him. So yes, he be does. careful with that. But if it doesn't bother you, it is one of the funniest things out there. Cause I mean, it's just the stories he tells and he goes to read the guy, the script. He's like, I want you to read it to me. So, you know, Kevin's like, oh, okay. He goes and reads the script and he's starting to read. And he's like, Kal-El says this. The guy's like, wait, 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 wait. who's Kal-El? <laughs> it's like, you were the producer of a Superman movie, dude. You gotta know the guy's name. You know, he wasn't born in, like, we're going to call you Superman. No. <laughs> he has a name. It parallels now with Hollywood as well. I mean, we we look at things and try to pull religious things out of it. But this very well could be a Hollywood tale. And it's just like, look what Hollywood can do. They got too arrogant. And they think that they can take anything and make gold out of it. And they don't care about what people want. It's just like, this is what I want. It's a common pitfall for humans, right? He was able to get away with having Spielberg direct like the Indiana Jones movies, but that's because he wasn't fronting the money for it. They were actually going through Paramount. So Paramount can give notes. Right. Yeah, Paramount can give notes. So he's able to do it that way. But because he was funding it himself and he gets all the say-so, I read his biography and he absolutely can't stand Hollywood. He hates it. 
That's why he films all of his movies in London. His uh, house and all the studios are up by San Francisco. Like, he just stays away from it. Wow. That explains a lot. So, and I never really thought about it, but yeah, I guess uh, when you really dig into it, this could be a tale of Palpatine could be the head of Fox. We broke the code. We're the first ones to do this. You do realize this. Our next podcast, we're going to be invited to Skywalker Ranch. I thought because the Jedi were depicted kind of as priests, because priests in the Catholic religion can't marry, I thought maybe he had some kind of issue with organized religion. Any very well, maybe. I guess it's just a universal struggle with any power structure or system, or it could have been government. I mean, this was made the year after 9-11. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that in the original trilogy, the Jedi are pretty much shown as good, right? They're a force for good. But when you get to the prequels, they started to depict them as maybe mixed motives and having some issues, right? Arrogant, whatever you want to call it. And then the sequel trilogy would run with that again. But then if you watch them in succession, it's so weird to have like episodes one, two, and three. Here the Jedi have some issues. Four, five, and six, they're like the pure hero. And then seven, eight, and nine, they're all messed up again and they should burn and be destroyed and all this stuff. It's like, yeah. Uh, remember seven, eight, nine. It's not consistent. It's not Lucas's story. Yeah. But they That's picked the up problem. that thread again. Yeah. And I think it also depends on the point of view of who you're looking at them from. That's kind of a big thing. They say that a couple of times throughout these movies. Obi-Wan tells Luke, well, I told you the truth on a point of view. From my point of view, this is what happened. Yeah, it's in the third one. There's a really good discussion between Palpatine and Anakin, where Anakin says, you know, the Jedi are good and the Sith are evil. And Palpatine says, well, good is a point of view, Anakin. You think you're doing good, but for somebody else, you're not doing good. So everything's a point of view. In this universe, right? In this universe. It just depends on where are you getting your information with, which is kind of the same thing that happens in real life. Was that his manipulation tactic, though? Absolutely. Palpatine is still playing on Anakin's feelings and his emotions. He knows that he's vulnerable, and he knows that he has attachments, and he can play on that. But at the same time... He does make a little bit of sense when he says that. And we can get into this when we do episode three. There's, it's a really great scene, and we can really break that one down. It's when they're in that, the opera house talking back and forth. But I, I think it's just all based on whose point of view are you looking at this through. Yeah, I think Lucas did want to show that everybody has kind of mixed motives in this movie. I think that was intentional. I've yeah. read some things he said about it. I do have one question about the plot. I noticed in the scroll at the beginning of the film it says thousands of solar systems are separating from the republic but i have not been able to figure out in watching the first and second movie why are they leaving what is the issue with the republic i mean it's kind of like you got to look at the united states civil war some states had left and then now we're gonna fight to keep them and all that stuff they're leaving because well one they've got sidious and dooku are manipulating leaders talking about how hey what has the republic done for you there's a thing you know in the in the galaxy that talk about the outer rim the planets furthest away from the center of the galaxy they don't get the attention that the richer planets get that uh if you're closer to coruscant the more attention you get so all these outer rim planets are, are starting to break away and they're like, you know what, we'll just do our own thing and we'll become our own government and we don't have to listen to the Republic and I don't have to pay your taxes and I don't have to do all this stuff. We'll just take care of ourselves. Uh, so that's why they were breaking away. In the grand scheme of it all, though, it's all Palpatine wanting them to break away so he can have a war, get an army made, and kill Jedi. That's his whole plan. That's all he wants, really wants to do. But that's why those, those systems are leaving. And they're called the Confederacy of Independent Systems. So they just didn't want to do it with the Republic anymore because of they felt they were being treated unfairly. It's interesting how that parallels even today. I hope I'm not getting too political with this, but if you think about it, in Episode 1, the uh, Separatists were setting up that blockade. Well, the Senate didn't do anything to stop it. They're just like, well, uh, they're kind of following the rules and everything. And it's like... No, they're not. They're breaking the law and they're doing this and they're doing that. So when 
somebody sees somebody do something and get away with it, it makes them also do the same. So take that to today in certain estates and certain places where they're starting to show, well, this person uh, walked into a store, grabbed a cart, filled it with hundreds of dollars worth of stuff, walked right out. Nobody stopped them. People just sat there and filmed them. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, well, if that's working, then I'll do it too. And then everyone started doing it. And now you're starting to see people leave because of that. After that blockade of Naboo, everyone else, you know, a lot of the smugglers or thieves and everything were like, there's no way they're coming after me if I go to Tatooine out in the outer realms and shoot up some farmers. Okay. Over time, remember one and two, that's what, seven, eight years? Between one and two is 10 years. That's a long time. So over that 10 years, there's probably been just more and more of this stuff like this happening, especially in the outer realms and the Republic's not watching. So now these planets are like, well, if you're not going to do anything, then we're going to get together and start our own little thing and start protecting ourselves. So they leave and start their own. Or in the case of today, they leave and go somewhere else. So they weren't necessarily getting the protection they needed in the first place because they were on the outer rim. You're right, because in Phantom Menace, when they said, like, there's slavery on Tatooine, and Padme says, I can't believe that there's still slavery existing in the galaxy or in the Republic. And Anakin's mom goes, the Republic doesn't exist out here. Oh, yeah. There you go. They don't care what happens out here. This is Tatooine. We're a desert. We don't do anything. We have... Jawas just stealing our stuff and selling it back to us. And nobody cares about Tatooine. That's why the Huts run it. It's it's controlled by gangsters and nobody steps in. There's slavery on this planet and the Republic does nothing. And even Qui-Gon goes, Well, I'm not here to free, I'm not here to free slaves. Yeah. Qui-Gon's <laughs> even like, I can't, I'm not even gonna do anything about it. So it is in the movie. It's just you gotta find the threads and weave them together into when you've nice seen it 25,000 times like me, you, you pick up on these things. <laughs> yep. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's it's that's why. Well, what are your overall thoughts on the movie or favorite, least favorite scenes? It's good. It ranks pretty low of the 11 films. It's, it's low, but it is ahead of 7, 8, and 9, and it's ahead of Phantom Menace, I think. Really? A little bit. You get to see Jedi in action. In Phantom Menace, you got to see Jedi, but they all they did is they sat around in a tower and watched Matlock all day. They didn't actually get out and do anything. <laughs> you know, they were too lazy to get up. But in this one, you actually got to see, like, you know, the big battle on Geonosis with all the battle droids coming in and then hundreds of Jedi coming in. That's the first time you had ever seen that. And it was just mind blowing. It was so cool. Watching Obi Wan jump out of a window to chase a, a speeder. And that whole sequence that was, was fantastic. That was so good. Even like the scene where Anakin finds his mom and she dies. It, it was so cool. I remember the first time I watched it, I remember sitting in the theater and he's holding his mom and she's dying. And the music playing in the background is just revving up and revving up. And you're like, there's oh. nobody like John Williams and there never will be. Never. He's got that music cranking up and you can just see Anakin looking down and he looks up off the top of his eyes and you're like, Oh my God, he's about to go mental on these sand people. And he comes out and just slaughters them. <laughs> Wait, does he decapitate like three of them? Just, yes! just like boom, 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 three heads laying there. George Lucas likes cutting heads off. <laughs> he loves dismemberment. So there's all this, like, you know, this drama building up, and there's all these action sequences. Obi Wan and Django running through that asteroid field. The coolest sound ever created is in that scene. And that's the seismic charges that he shoots out of his ship. When they explode, it's silent. It's boom. I love that sound. And then Yoda. There's never been a bigger pop in a theater that I've been to. And I was there opening day for Endgame. When Cap cut the hammer, that was cool. Nothing (laughs) like Yoda busting out his lightsaber. He didn't even grab it. He just opens up his coat and is like, bring it. And he just starts flipping. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, here's Yoda walking with the cane and now he's doing all these flips. And it's just, I mean, it was the most amazing thing I had ever seen in a movie theater in my life. 
I mean, to this day, it's like one of the top things I, I and I can remember it so vividly sitting there in the theater watching this and the crowd just losing their mind because Yoda's fighting with a lightsaber. Mm. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's so, it was so well, many when cool When you saw things. Shadow, it, it was, it was, Walking yeah, in. it wasn't even when he broke out his, I mean, when he, he broke like, out oh, his, here he comes. lightsaber, people went crazy. But as soon as you saw that shadow and that cane hit and you heard that, everyone's like, what's going to happen? God. <laughs> <laughs> It was, yeah, fantastic. There's a lot of that I like. There was so much of it. But the parts that ruin it for me is the fact that Padme and Anakin fell in love in two days. It seemed a bit rushed. Was it two days, really? It was a couple days. He had just admitted. I think they didn't portray it. I think they were there for a while. Because remember, Obi-Wan went to one planet, met with the four-armed fat dude that liked to scratch his butt. Because that's funny. And then he went somewhere else and he's doing all this traveling and stuff. And I know he's got hyperspace, but still hyperspace from one end to the other. That's a long time. I think you're talking at least a few weeks. But they didn't see each other for 10 years. He just admitted that I slaughtered an entire village of sand people. And she's like, oh, I love you. Yeah, she wasn't concerned at all. (laughs) He's even like the women and the children. And she's like. Oh, let me comfort you. Thank you, murderer. Well, well again, remember, <laughs> this is pre, pre-Mandalorian or pre-Boba Fett, the book of Boba Fett. Sand people were monsters to us. Yeah, I mean, I get it. So, you know, it's like us killing a bunch of bears that killed our mom, you know? it's All right. <laughs> but the other part that, that absolutely I can't stand is the interaction between 3PO, well, basically just 3PO. In that whole movie, I hate 3PO. I cannot stand C-3PO in that movie. I don't have a problem with him in any other one. This one here, they tried to make him Don Rickles or something, where he's just one-liner after one-liner after one-liner, and it is horrible, horrible. You got this awesome battle scene, and then there's 3PO marching with a... The wrong body. What, what? Which doesn't make any yeah. sense because his CPU is in his head, so he should be able to control his body. Exactly. That's that. When his head gets knocked off and he's being pulled away and he's, oh, this is such a drag. And then they pull his head up next to his body. Oh, I'm quite beside myself. Shut up. <laughs> Just shut up. It's not funny. In Empire, when he gets blown <laughs> up, that's my favorite part. I couldn't stand him in the original trilogy. Really? I like 3 In Attack of the Clones... And, and one thing he says that's always bothered me, he's met R2 one other time on Tatooine 10 years ago. They get off the ship. He's being reunited with R2 for the first time in 10 years. They're together for 15 minutes, and they get on a ship, and they fly away. So Anakin pretty much just abducted 3PO from his stepbrother. I don't know if he asked permission, can I take 3PO with me? <laughs> but he did. And when they land, R2 and 3PO get off the ship, and they're going out into the droid factory. And 3PO says, R2, do you know where you're going, right? And then R2 disappears, and 3PO's like, oh, I wonder about that little R2 unit. He's always getting himself into trouble. How do you know? You haven't been with him in 10 years. I hate that line. I thought that too, yeah. God, I'm sorry. I mean, it's just, that whole part just ruins the movie for me at that point. And then it gets cool again. It comes down again to... Lucas, he's not that great when it comes to script writing. I think he listened to the fans between episode one and two. Because like we said, Jar Jar was hardly ever in the movie moving forward. But he's still in the back of his head like, well, I need some jokes for the kids. We took him away from Jar Jar, so let's give him to 3PO. That'll give Anthony Daniels some more lines, give him a couple more bucks. Yeah, it was not good. <laughs> it was disastrous. And he also, with Jar Jar, if you noticed, Jar Jar was at the very beginning. And when the war broke out, Jar Jar's the senator that voted to give all executive power to the chancellor. <laughs> it's Jar Jar's fault that the chancellor had all of that power. Did he do that to throw Jar Jar under the bus or what? I don't think so. But I mean, like they made that. Like, who, what senator would propose this idea? And one guy goes, well, if only if Senator Amidala were here, she'd do it. So Jar Jar's like, oh, 
Misa do it then. Oh. And they made him. So they kind of, that dude got a lot of power and a little time. Easily manipulated. He was a homeless Gungan. He, could, he couldn't even go home. They kicked him out of there. And now all of a sudden he's like giving power <laughs> to the one he's guy. He's a representative. To the most evil person in the galaxy. Yes. My overall take on the Attack Clones, I think it's a fun film. I think it's a pretty good film. There are some very rough parts in it, but you get through that. The action sequences are great. The solving the mystery of following Obi-Wan around all the entire show is a lot of fun. Seeing Jedi do their Jedi thing was really super cool. I, I mean, I enjoy it. Not as much as others, but I, I, I do enjoy it. Yeah, I almost 100% agree with Drew. He nailed it. I can pretty much say I agree with Drew almost 100%. And it sounds like, and Drew backed me up, that watching the clone wars along with this or before this or after this tell me when drew if you wanted to you could watch uh between two and three or just at any point because it really gives you a lot of insight on what happens and how things set up but tales of the jedi on disney plus is another good one to get the dooku story and it sounds like you watch that one after episode one it takes place before one and right after one yeah it kind of jumps a little bit so watch one, then watch Tales of the Jedi, watch two, and then watch The Clone Wars. Because I think that'll add a lot more. Because I did like that it seemed George Lucas pulled back a little bit from the CGI up until the end when he went CGI crazy with all the yeah. flying things and all that. I did like that. I do enjoy those pops. And realize if you've never watched this, you're not going to get the same pop that we did when we watched it. Because we're old. And we saw the original trilogy when Yoda could barely walk around. And it was very cool as a kid and even cooler as an adult when you see Yoda actually use the Force. And to show how powerful a Jedi, this dude's like 900 years old. And he just goes and picks up an entire spaceship and sets it down. So to be able to see him just a little bit younger and just go crazy the way he did. I mean, that was very cool. So it might be harder for somebody who's watching this for the first time because that's what, 20 years in the waiting. Yeah. Us. We waited a long time to see that. Being able to see other stories on uh, clone wars and stuff like that would definitely help. I agree with the same things. The three PO stuff was pretty crappy. <laughs> the love story had to be told. Yeah. It could have been told better and the acting could have been much better. But like we said, by the time Hayden starts to show anger, you see him opening up a little bit better. And I think his acting got a lot better. So it's really good. You got to watch it. It's great story. Just you got to give some of the writing and some of the acting a pass because you got to realize that unfortunately you're not going to get that really great acting that I think would have helped the story along. 100% recommend. You gotta watch it. Yeah. Oh, you guys are gonna kill me. You hate it. I know. You didn't like it. <laughs> Man, this is dead last to me in really? nine Star Wars main movies. Wow. Dead last. Oh. You're counting like seven, eight, nine in this? Really? Yeah. You place yeah. this below those? Well, I've only seen those once. I saw them all in the theater and I like them. I'm curious to see if I'd like them when I watch them again. I did notice some problems with the sequel trilogy because it's like they started a story and then they and stopped the story because it. people didn't like it. So they made another story and then they're like, oh, fans didn't like that. So we're going to put all that away and pretend it didn't happen and then make another story. It was three movies with three different stories that did not mesh. They had no roadmap of where they were going. They had no idea where they were going. And they threw everything that you learn in one through six, they're just going to throw all that right out the window. And that was upsetting too. But I wasn't as bored because in this movie, in Attack of the Clones, <laughs> oh my gosh, man. Yeah, there's some rough parts. The, the acting is so bad. The script is... It's the script. Oh, it's, it's the writing. It's pretty rough, man. If the script was okay, that would help the actors. But I couldn't figure out why. There's these new Star Wars games that came out for xbox one right the newest one and there's another one coming out is jedi fallen order yeah fallen order i have that game really cool game i think i should like it but i couldn't get really into it and part of it was 
the character I'm playing. I couldn't figure out why. I really liked Jedi Knight because Cal Katarn, he was cool. But then I didn't know if I liked this main character. And I realized it's because he looks like Hayden Christensen. And it reminds me of this movie. <laughs> I, I did not like it. He's actually designed after the actor who portrays him. And I can't think of the kid's name, but he was in Gotham. He played like the Joker in Gotham. And he's really good. I was looking for things to enjoy in this film. And as I looked at, like, what do the Jedi believe? And how does the Force work? And what do they think about feelings? What is the difference between listening to your feelings and the Force? Nothing is fleshed out. Nothing. Even the story wasn't fully fleshed out. They had to finish the plot in the Clone Wars. So at the end of the day, just from watching this movie, maybe I'd feel more complete if I watched those other things. But just looking at this movie, I thought, this plot feels half-baked. It's not finished. The universe isn't quite finished. It's like they haven't decided who the Jedi are and how they work. So there's like pieces I like, but... I'd overlook a lot of that stuff if I was just not bored. I have trouble with the last fight. I remember going to see this in the theater and I liked it more than I did the second viewing. I was like, why did I like this in the theater? But the first viewing, I liked it pretty well until the end. Because at the end, there's this gladiator-like match. And that's cool in theory. But the physics of the creatures, something's not right. Like a lot of the times when they fight a CGI creature... There's some kind of model. Maybe someone in a suit could have maybe given it some realistic physics to it. But I know there's nothing there. It's like they're fighting a cartoon. Yeah. And it bothered me because in 1983, when Return of the Jedi was out, that Rancor puppet was probably terrible looking. But I felt it. I loved that part. Well, it looks like you could touch it. Yeah. It, and that's, that is a part of And I agree with you on this movie. When we said last week that I felt like sometimes I'm watching a cartoon with all this. This one especially. This one especially I felt like because it's so animated. I, I get what you're saying there. I think this movie after you see three it makes two better. Three makes one and two better because episode three is really, really good. So you look at it as a whole. Yeah. I mean, this is the middle part of an act. So it's usually darker and this is where they start developing more of the plot and really getting into it, and then you get the payoff. It's kind of like Empire Strikes Back. It's probably the slowest one of the original trilogy, but in my opinion, it's the best one, though, but of all of them. I was hoping I would be wrong about this one and that I would like it more, but I'm still thinking skip one and two. One's not a bad movie, but it's kind of sabotaged by Jar Jar. Two, definitely skip this, in my opinion. If you skip it, though, and you just go straight to three... You don't know who these characters are. You don't know who Anakin is or where he started from and how he got to where he's at. You don't know who Palpatine is. So you've got to see them progress. Yeah, but the way they had him act was like a really obnoxious teenager. Exactly. Well, he is. Make me like him. Make me empathize but with again, him. And I think I've mentioned this before. You watch the original trilogy and listen to Mark Hamill go, well, I want to go to Tashi to pick up some power converters. He's a yeah. whiny little kid, too. He can't direct people on how to act. Thank God Harrison Ford had talent. Yeah. And not saying the other guys don't. They have talent. They're better than me. But They're so much better know. by episode five. They are. I do like episode four, but it does have some rough edges. And again, like I said, by the end of the movie, Hayden's on track. He can act better. Him and Natalie Portman are much more comfortable. I don't know why, but I always remember that scene when he comes riding up on that thing and she jumps down just smoothly, boom, reaches over, just a kiss on the cheek. You know, just very, very comfortable. And it was like, okay, they're on track now. And episode three, Hayden did a good job. I had no problems with Hayden in three. He had done a few movies and he was good, but now he's doing a freaking... Star Wars movie. He went from being the third, maybe fourth popular character on a show about building a house to being Darth Vader. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a big jump. <laughs> he was probably nervous and he doesn't have anyone telling him this is how you need to do it. He was going in there and doing the best he could. Yeah, I agree. 
And I can see where you're coming from, though, Nathan. Because, yeah, it, it is. When you look at the whole list of Star Wars movies, it is down at the bottom of the list for me. But once you see three and you put three in context with one and two, it makes one and two better. It does elevate him because you can see the progression of where he's going. And it give you a little glimpse of it. There's a deeper story to it. Check out the Clone Wars. I mean, I didn't watch him. I know it's going to be tough, but I think I'm going to try because I'm not a big cartoon watcher. I'll watch like old cartoons when I was a kid, but now I want to watch real people. So That's what turned a lot of people off from watching The Clone Wars is because like, oh, I don't want to watch a cartoon. But then when you start watching it, you realize this isn't really a cartoon. This is like a PG-13 cartoon. They dig deep into a lot of stuff. If you go on Disney and you go to it, they'll actually give you like the essential episodes. Here are the ones that you should watch instead of like watching every single one of them. Yeah, because there's like four or five seasons, that's right six seasons but you can watch the essentials and the essentials are probably 10 12 episodes that'll really get you caught up on what's going on i am looking forward to episode three but when i watched this movie that did make me worried about episode three and i'm like oh no what if i don't like it this time i've seen it two or three times before i think you'll like three okay i rank three really really high it's it's a top four well, we are two for three on this one, as we were on Phantom Menace. So what will next week be like? We shall see. You didn't have to wait uh, 16 years to get a Star Wars movie like we did. After eight, 1983, I thought it was done. It's like I'm never getting another Star Wars movie. All we movie. had were the Ewok movies. We had the Ewok TV movies, no. <laughs> which I own on DVD. Of course you do. We're not talking. We won't get into those. But we had nothing. So when... 1999 rolled around and you're like here's a new trilogy this is something that we had waited for and i went from being a kid and now i'm 21 years old and the new one's coming out and i felt like a kid again watching these i think that's the difference of why these probably mean a little bit more to us than they do to someone who's a little younger well when i was young the original trilogy was re-released in the thx edition Mm -hmm. and i saw them in the theaters maybe it was the special edition yeah 97 they brought those out and then I remember going to theaters as a kid to see Empire. I loved Star Wars. I played Super Star Wars on Super Nintendo. A lot of us weren't happy with those special editions, I can tell you that. No, I was I was confused in the theater going, why are they changing lines? We'll find that out when we get to the original trilogy. Well, listeners, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe to the channel. That helps us make more awesome podcasts. And we will see you next time when we cover Revenge of the Sith. May the Force be with you.